I can hear you just fine. All right, man. Good to see you. Good to see you. Sorry about that, man. I didn't know that, uh, didn't know I had to do the app and all of that. And so tried doing it on my phone and it wouldn't complete the download. So I switched over to my computer and clicked the, the browser link and then it told me the same thing i download the app so i didn't know that sorry about that <laughs> hey man no worries at all that's interesting um i didn't know i guess i haven't really you know i go to the desktop after i podcast a lot of times and uh or we'll go to the website rather and download it so i can edit it but right. uh man i think we should maybe both be buying stock in this program because yeah <laughs> Oh, you you ain't kidding, man. Everybody's using it right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, man, I really appreciate you coming on, Ryan. Um, you know, I don't know a lot about you, which I think will be good because I got a lot of questions. But uh, I, Absolutely. What little I do know about you, um, man, I actually, I, I kind of started following you. I think, do you know Billy Reader? Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, he so, was one of my professors when I was at uh, Arkansas Tech. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I got my master's from tech and Billy has come to my gym. He's been on the podcast a couple of times. Just a friend of mine. We're probably going to train some martial arts together uh, sometime this week. So uh, I saw him. Uh oh, he, he knows martial arts uh, now. He, he's, he, he's, you know, he's a pirate and a, and a martial arts, uh, you know, practitioner as well. You can't be Johnny Depp and Jackie Chan. You got to pick one. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, but, man, I saw him post about you, and then I, I like, looked you up, and I was like, wow, th I, this guy sounds great. Uh, just like, man, I play, I play guitar and have since junior high, so I was like, uh, you know, mostly acoustic as well and rhythm. So I was right. – I, I loved your playing, and, man, I was like, wow, this – this guy can really sing and play. And, uh, man, I've just kind of followed you ever since, liked your pages and uh, sent you an ad on Facebook. And, man, it's, it's, uh, it's awesome getting to see some of the stuff you're doing right now with the online concerts. I've been uh, following along with those as well. well. I appreciate that, man. It's uh, certainly been uh, kind of a weird time, but we're adjusting to it best we can. Yeah, yeah. Well, man, how long have you been involved with music? How long have you been playing? Well, that, that goes back a long way. As far as when I was involved in music is pretty much as long as I can remember. You know, I've always loved music and always wanted to do something with music. Even when I was a little kid and didn't really know what that meant or what that looked like. But uh, I got my first guitar when I was about four years old. My mom got me one for Christmas. It was a, a little student guitar thing, you know. Uh, the brand was Mark II. I remember a lot of other kids had that same guitar. Uh, oh, man, I'm going to take one of my earbuds out because I can't hear myself. Okay. Uh, <laughs> You're fine. You're fine. I don't have this, uh, for, for whatever reason, I don't have this set up uh, where I could hear myself. Normally, I might have thought about that ahead of time, but, you know, I just... I don't always plan the best, but anyway, um, so I got my first guitar when I was four and 
uh, from there, my goal was to be George Jones. That's I thought, you know, like kids would say, I want to be a power ranger when I grow up, or I want to be a firefighter or whatever. I said, I want to be George Jones. That's before I heard, you know, the going to the liquor store on the lawnmower story and all of that. <laughs> you know, and everybody always told me, well, you know, just skip the drinking years. The music is fine. Just skip that part of it. You'll be fine. Uh, and that's really how it started. And uh, from there, it kind of just to give you an idea of how I got to where I am today. Uh, you know, for, for years, I just wanted to be George Jones and that's all I'd listen to George Jones, Clint Black, Garth Brooks. That was it. And then it reached a point when I was in third or fourth grade. Well, no, probably third grade when uh, my uncle Kevin was talking about this band that he used to go see all the time called kiss. I'd never heard of kiss and I didn't know anything about that. But from what he was telling me, it didn't sound anything like George Jones. And I thought, well, I, I need to check that out one of these days. And one night I was turned on the TV and VH1 had it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tur turned on the TV one night and VH1 had a show called When Kiss Ruled the World, which you can still find it on YouTube. It's a, it's a pretty decent documentary. It's only about 25 minutes or so, but uh, that changed everything. I was like, oh, so, so that's what he was talking about, you know breathing fire and spitting blood and the whole deal. And uh, I, I made the, made my mind up that night that, well, instead of George Jones, maybe I want to be Ace Frehley for a little while. Uh, and so I got an electric guitar and started playing uh, rock and roll and heavy metal, got into you know Black Sabbath, Van Halen, Motorhead, you know, just all Judas Priest, just exactly the opposite of, of what I grew up on. You know, we, we went, went from George Jones to Lemmy. But they had similar lifestyles at one point. So you can see there's a little bit of a parallel at some point in the story. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and eventually figured out a way through hearing artists like Travis Tridd and Chris Stapleton, figured out that there's a way when country music came back into my life and I realized I just can't go on without that, you know, because country music lyrically and musically it just, there's an emotion to it and there's a, a sense of understanding to it where it doesn't matter what you're going through. There's always a song there for it. And it, there's always something to make you realize that you're not alone. Somebody else has gone through what you're going through. And once I decided I got to get country music back in my life, I just, this is too good to pass up on. I started rediscovering those old George Jones records and George Strait and Hank Williams and all that stuff I had loved as a kid, Merle Haggard, Mail Street. Once I got that figured out, I thought, well, how do I go on from here? You know, how, how do I combine all of this? And through people like Travis Tritt and Chris Stapleton, I figured out you can combine your country influences and your rock influences and your blues influences, <clears throat> excuse me, and your R&B and even heavy metal every once in a while if, if you are so inclined, uh, which I don't get to do that as much anymore, but every once in a while I'll pull something like that out. I've actually got a bluegrass version of Ace of Spades I do sometime just to kind of prove to people that, you know, as far as the, the rhythm and the, the musicality, there are a lot of similarities between heavy metal and bluegrass. Some people don't want to hear that, but they eventually have to realize that I'm not exactly wrong on that. Uh, Man, but have, uh, you, have you got yeah, into that bit, was, uh, Billy Strings in a nutshell, at all? That's kind of how we got here. Man, I tell you what, I was late getting on that train, and I'm just ashamed for it because I heard people talking about him for the last probably two or three years. I know he's been doing it a while, but 
Uh, he's really blown up here in the last few years. I was hearing about how great he was, and I just, for whatever reason, I just never checked it out because, and this probably won't surprise anybody, when it comes to newer music, I pretty much have to find it myself because there's, I'm so, it's not that I'm picky about my music. It's it's just that as far as what I'll actually listen to on a regular basis, I know what I go towards and I, I know kind of where to find that. Um, now I'm really open-minded as far as listening to stuff. I, I'll listen to all kinds of stuff. I listen to music I don't like all the time. You know, it's uh, not, not to, cause I've got a lot of friends in radio, but you know, quite frankly, when you listen to the radio now, I hear a lot of stuff that I don't like, but I can appreciate it for what it is. And I can hear the elements that make it a good song. You know, and I always appreciate listening to a good song, even if musically it's not really what I would go for. Uh, but with Billy Strings, that didn't apply at all because here's a guy playing bluegrass music and he can also tear it up on a Telecaster like nobody's business. Well, that's right up my alley and I still haven't checked the guy out. But I finally did earlier this year because uh, I had seen a video of him playing with Tommy Emmanuel, which Tommy figures into uh, my story a little bit later as far as influences go. Uh, and I saw, man, this guy's just going note for note with Tommy. And I I consider Tommy Emmanuel to be the, the best guitar player alive right now. Uh, he has been for a long time in my book. But, uh, man, just to see they were playing Working Man Blues, I think it was at Merle Fest uh, last year or the year before. I and so to, I realized, I okay, that. this Billy Strings guy is the real deal. Yeah, and I did see uh, what really finally got me totally on the Billy Strings train was uh, watching, because he has several full concerts on YouTube, which that's cool of him, because a lot of artists will have that taken down. He, he It looks like he encourages it, which is really cool. It's almost like a Grateful Dead kind of thing where people do the tape trading at their shows. Um, but uh, he walks on stage, you know, as he's long-haired, hippie-looking guys, you know, tattoos and all of this, walking on the stage with acoustic guitar and banjo and mandolin and, you know, and you're thinking, oh, man, what's 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 this going to be? Is this going to look like, you know? Now, I already knew just from seeing the Working Man Blues thing that he knows how to play traditional bluegrass. So I, I kind of knew what was coming, but it was still a treat to see because these guys walk on stage and you think, uh, you know, what kind of hippie grass jam stuff are they going to start getting into here? You know, what kind of uh, fish meets Dave Matthews meets Flattened Scruggs are they about to <laughs> get into here? And he starts strumming his guitar and he says, all right, well, it's good to see y'all here tonight. Thanks for coming. And then he starts into a Larry Sparks tune, you know, taking a slow train, one of my favorite bluegrass songs, starts into a Larry Sparks tune just as good as I have ever heard it done. And you can tell these boys can pick bluegrass just as well as any of the traditional guys. And, but they, they do the jam thing better than anybody. They do that too. That's what I love is they do all of it and they do it so well, you know, to, to do from the most traditional bluegrass to the most experimental out there stuff and do it on that high of a level, man, I, I'm a fan now. <laughs> Yeah, so apparently I can't yep. shut up about it. That's how excited I am about <laughs> I've only been listening to him for a short time as well. I saw him. We went to see Widespread Panic play an acoustic show at the Ryman. And he set in with them. And I'd heard of him. And everybody was talking, predicting that he was going to set in with them. And he now covers a Widespread Panic song. And then a uh, 
another song that Panic covers, he's added to his repertoire and he's doing right. Almond Brothers and stuff. But man, he sets in with some of my favorite artists and performers and melts my face every time. Oh, absolutely. You know, I saw him, uh, was it, a, I guess it was probably a few months ago, he was on stage with Tyler Childers uh, playing Trudy, which is my favorite Charlie Daniels song. It's one that a lot of people don't necessarily know. If you're a Charlie Daniels fan, you probably know the song. But uh, it never was really a radio hit or anything like that. But it's just a great, it's, it's, it's like a bluesy groove rock song. You know, it's not everybody calls Charlie Daniels country or southern rock. And he did that too. But he had so much stuff that was like jazz fusion and uh, blues and and r&b type stuff and he did so much different music and trudy is a great example of that but yeah billy strings went out with tyler childers and cranked up a telecaster and just absolutely tore the place down so I, that may I'll have been the first now. time i, I saw will, him play i, I will in. proudly admit that yeah yeah that was the same thing for me that was the first time i had seen him play electric everything else i'd seen was acoustic even though he could still play just as well you know a lot of people with with the acoustic and this is part of why i love tommy emmanuel so much so many people when they play acoustic it's almost like they're playing a totally different style because for whatever reason they just can't figure out how to translate what they do on on an electric guitar to an acoustic guitar and i was the same way when i made that transition because i played electric for years and going to acoustic guitar it's like man you really have to figure out what you are and what you're doing when you make that move because you don't have any pedals or, you know, any kind of special, you can't just crank up the wah-wah and, and <laughs> make it sound like, you know, I used to do that all the time where I'd get my crybaby and, and just crank that thing up. And man, those notes were swimming around and you, you couldn't tell that I was a bad guitar player because it was just the wah-wah-wah, that's all you could hear. Oh, and man. yeah, I, I remember when I was 12, yeah. <laughs> So how but so, yeah, Billy Strings is uh, man, he's, he's on another level with that. He man, he he is. I I and I'm excited to see what he has uh, left to come. Uh, you know, he's so young. So we're, oh, me too. We're, well, we're on the front end. Visible in, in uh, August, they're doing a show in Little Rock at the amphitheater. We have tickets I, to that. I don't, I don't know, know if it'll that's happen. Gonna go, man. Yeah, I, I almost don't think it will because I think they've already sold too many tickets, which normally would be a great thing but now i don't know that they've I, because they had sold the last time i had looked at the Ticketmaster page they had sold almost the majority of the the built-in seating now of course the lawn you can be experimental on the lawn you know you can kind of there's enough room there where you can do some social distancing the pit i don't really know what they would do there i guess they would just have to kind of probably just put chairs out. I know it was going to be standing room. They'd probably have to put chairs out and just make it a, you know, six feet between rows and all of that. And, but man, I, I, I don't know. They can do it. It would probably take a total restructure of how they're doing the event. And they would probably have to either move people's tickets around or just cancel everybody's tickets and put them back on sale with a limited number. Um, I, I hope that there's a way to do that, but I was just reading an article and tell me to shut up at any point, because once I start talking, sometimes I just don't stop. But, Keep going, uh, man. That's, I that's why I had you on. 
Well, and this is, you know, since we're on this topic and it's, uh, you know, a lot of people are talking about it, but it's a reality. It's, it's something that we're all kind of facing right now, not only as, as musicians, but music fans, you know. Uh, I was reading an article last night about uh, the realistic timeline of how we can expect events to roll out. Uh, and I think it was uh, an NPR station had this article. Um, it may have been in Boston. I can't remember. But they talked to several people in the music business. They talked to concert promoters. They talked to musicians on every level. They, you know, they even talked to Joe Perry. So you had from the top arena bands all the way down to club bands talking about how this is going to affect them. And the way it's looking right now, I mean, with outdoor venues, you can kind of get away with a little, a little something. You know, I think that that'll be the first thing to happen. You know, you'll have your, your festivals, well, some of them. Now, some of the big ones, it's, it probably will take a year or so before they can get back on track, like Stagecoach and uh, Coachella, things like that. It's, it's going to take a while because there's so much involved in those big festivals that they can't afford to book all of these acts and bring in the crew and everything for 200 people. You know, it, it's just they, they'll lose everything if they do that. But I think some of your smaller community-centered outdoor events, uh, some of your amphitheater shows will be able to do things like that, uh, especially ones that maybe don't already have built-in seating. You know, if you have like a kind of a concert in the park thing in your community where they've got a stage built, but it's just like all you know, a natural grass area, I think they'll be able to experiment a little more with that. Uh, indoor shows, there's a place in Fort Smith called Temple Live, which is a really cool theater. I actually saw Andrew Dice Clay there a couple of years ago. That, that was a lot of fun. Uh, but they've got a show booked there at the end of this month, and it's uh, a guy from the band Bishop Guns is going to be doing a solo acoustic show. And, and they're doing the, the social distancing thing, which I, I'm, I'm a little surprised that they're trying one this soon but it really sounds like they've got their stuff together and they've probably been thinking about it since this all started. Um, I can't imagine there'd be anything else you would be thinking about in that circumstance, but you know, they're from what they're saying, they're going to do the check everybody's temperature when they come in the door, uh, enforce social distancing, only allow a certain amount of people in the restrooms at a time, which they have big restrooms. So that helps um, only allow uh, a certain amount of people within each row and then space between rows and, they're actually squeezing their capacity down to uh, from 1,100 to about 200, which from my understanding is more than they have to, but they're making that move to go ahead and squeeze it down to 200. I don't know if they're going to open up the balcony. I'm not sure how that's going to work, but, you know, is it going to be weird at first? Yeah, it's going to be weird to be in a, a bigger venue and only have a couple hundred people there and space between everybody that is going to be weird. It's going to take some getting used to, but for events that we really want to go to, if that's what we have to do to keep everybody safe and be able to get that much closer to going back to normal, fine. You know, but let's, let's take our lumps where we have to and, and, and do what we have to do to get back there because I understand more than anybody that you want to get back to normal life. Believe me, I want to get back to normal life. I, my timing was awful for this whole thing because, you know, I did the American Idol thing and they said, you need to go to Nashville and, you know, you can circle the pond, but you got to jump in the water. You need to go to Nashville. Okay, I'll go to Nashville. Well, that worked out for about 
two minutes. <laughs> and a pandemic comes through and it's suddenly, well, Nashville's closed and so is Arkansas. So, uh, you know, it, it was really one of those things where I understand everybody's wanting to get back to normal life. And, and I do too, because I had all of this different stuff planned that I was going to do this year. And, you know, I was going to be there on at least a semi-permanent basis. Uh, and, and now everything's just kind of up in the air. So I get it. But if we're too quick to move back to everything that we were doing before, it could set us back another several months or another year or so, you, you know, you just never know. But, uh, you know, I don't know why I've gotten into this whole diatribe, but uh, oh, man, that was, to sum uh, it up, I'm, I'm really impressed with uh, how the venues and everybody are handling this because I, I think that making it known of what the realistic expectations are for when we can expect to be able to get back into, like, I don't know how they're going to do the, the Motley Crue Def Leppard Stadium Tour. I don't think that's going to happen. I know they haven't made the announcement yet, and they're kind of tiptoeing around it. That ain't happening. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, you, you've got, they're, they're paying crew 2 million a night, Def Leppard 1 million a night, Poison's at a little, a little over 200,000. And I don't know what Joan Jett's getting, but anyway, you've got probably, what would that be with crew and staging and everything? You're looking at probably $6 million a night that you've got invested into this thing. And you can only let 30, 40% of the people who bought tickets in. Yeah. They're, they're not going to lose all that money. I, I think that they're going to back that thing up until next year and just hope that crew will honor the, the tour. But uh, anyway, yeah. I'm, I'm just really proud of how everybody's handling it in the industry. And I think that I think we're slowly on the right track, but we have to keep going slow on it right now. We, we can't speed down that track just yet. Uh, but anyway, with all that being said. <laughs> no man i i totally am in agreement with you you know my wife and i we own a uh, martial arts academy here in russellville i teach college and it's a very much uh in both of those realms it's kind of an uncertain situation with gyms reopening and us going back to choking people and jujitsu and stuff like that so it's uh it's been a weird time, but how it has affected you is one thing I was wanting to talk to you about, uh, how all this, because, man, I know it kind of derailed some of your plans, so that was kind of one thing I, I'd wanted to bring up. Man, are you related to any other Harmons that play music? Like Kent, Kent Harmon? Uh, yeah, uh, he's, we're actually cousins. Uh, yeah, and there's, there's I, I hear all the time about... Uh, people who I may or may not be related to. And, you know, you just kind of, in Arkansas, you kind of have to take somebody's word for it. Oh, you related to Billy Joe, Don Bob, you know, the third. And well, probably somewhere along the way. Sure. <laughs> yeah, man. I know there's two, there's two Harmon brothers in a band called Fiscal Spliff. That's kind of a bluesy <laughs> band. And uh, I was like, man, these Harmon people can jam. That's what I, <laughs> I didn't know if y'all related or what. Anyway, anyhow, but uh, man, do you, do you play any other instruments other than guitar? I do. Uh, I'm I'm kind of bad about it. I'll I'll get on little uh, phases where I'll really hunker down and start getting better at something, and then I'll kind of put it down for a few weeks. You know, I I, I play mandolin. I'm I'm getting better at mandolin. Uh, still kind of on a you know on a on a rhythm level. I'm kind of where I was. Uh, close to where I want to be there. Uh, but with leads, I want to get much better as a lead player with mandolin. Um, 
you know, just uh, kind of emulating some of my heroes like Ricky Skaggs and Marty Stewart, Bobby Osborne, you know. Uh, I actually, I played banjo a little bit. I'm not very good. Uh, I can play well enough to not be noticed. <laughs> in a, if a bluegrass band needed somebody to step in on banjo at the last minute, I could play well enough to where you wouldn't know I was there. You know, hopefully I wouldn't make too many mistakes, but uh, I'm not going to be able to play rawhide or foggy mountain breakdown just yet. I can play it a little slower, <laughs> but not the way people expect to hear it. Uh, you know, and, and there's a lot of things where I can kind of, and it, you're probably the same way, you know, you can kind of pick something up and, and, and play a little something on it here and there if it need be, or if you're just messing around, you know, if you pick up a bass, you can play a little something on the bass. You know, all of us have poked around on a piano and figured out that we can play Desperado and then that makes our whole week. Uh, then we just never learn another song. <laughs> you know, that's that's one I, I want to learn piano at some point or more accurately keyboard because I don't have room for a full-size piano. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I want to learn how to play keyboard and I want to learn, uh, I'd love to learn uh, fiddle. And I've actually got an old fiddle that I bought. To, it's like a 1940-something student fiddle that I bought at a flea market a while back. It's actually been about a year and a half ago that I bought that thing. I got a, a fairly good deal on it, but it needs some work and I just haven't taken it anywhere to, to get the work done. And it's also a little discouraging the fact that fiddle is a really difficult instrument to learn. You know, having to, you're, you're just in a totally, you, you never, you know, to, to play because you know, you're, you're looking down kind of crossways at the neck and holding the bow and keeping it under, you know, it's just like what kind of acrobatic Chinese theater Cirque du Soleil thing is this? Uh, so that one will probably take a little while before I get there. In the meantime, I know a lot of great fiddle players. So if I need fiddle, I can call somebody who's better than me for that. <laughs> Man, uh, you really, have you sang the whole time? Did you just discover one day that you could sing? Did, did you always pursue both? When did you kind of realize uh, that you could sing? Well, I had always kind of sang just to myself and around the house when I was a little kid. That was just kind of part of it. But once I actually started playing in front of people, I wouldn't sing, didn't want to. And, you know, to be fair, that was probably the right decision because I was like 11, 12. My voice was still in that squeaky undeveloped stage. Uh, now it's in the squeaky developed stage, but, <laughs> but, uh, you know, at, at the time, especially I didn't really, I just sang to myself, but didn't really sing in front of people or anything. And I think the first time that I ever was going to take that leap, uh, was we had put together a little band, here in Lamar of uh, pretty much everybody who played uh, music at the time who still lived in Lamar. There were probably six or seven of us that uh, just all came together for this little benefit for the Lamar City Park. And I was 13, I guess, 12 or 13. And finally, you know, we were putting together the final set list and somebody said, oh, Ryan, do you want to sing one? And I said, well, I'll sing Cat Scratch Fever. How about that? So we got it worked up and then somebody kind of put the put the put the brakes on that and say well we can't have these kids singing cat scratch fever because i don't i don't think they know what the song's about and they were right we did <laughs> oh man but, that's uh, great. but yeah I, I didn't at first uh with with the singing it just wasn't quite there i really didn't have a lot of confidence in my voice until probably 
I, I started singing and playing regularly when I was in high school. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, my freshman year is when I started going out and gigging as a solo electric act at the time, which, man, uh, nobody wanted to hear that. <laughs> they were awful nice about it, but uh, that, that was just one of those things where some people can pull that off. You know, somebody like Neil Young or Stephen Stills, they could play solo electric and it would sound great. The way I was doing it, it just, it, it wasn't there. You know, I just wasn't. And it's all part of the, you know, research and development. You know, it's it's all trial and error. That's that's how you get to where you need to be. And so just starting off playing at places like the Arkansas, Oklahoma State Fair and Fort Smith, and, uh, a lady named Pam Carter who ran the, the Dr. Pepper stage at the time at the fair, she just uh, was way nicer to me than she needed to be. Um, she gave me a chance to go up there when I hadn't played in front of anybody before, as far as like actually having my own gig, she gave me 30 minutes, uh, on that stage, which ended up that year, the first year I played there it was my first gig as a solo act, you know, outside of playing with the, the band at the park and all that kind of stuff and doing talent shows. My first actual gig got moved to Harper stadium because they had a motocross thing set up where the outdoor stage, the free stage normally was. So here's my first gig and I'm playing in Harper Stadium. Oh man, this is great. You know, and it seats 10,000 people and there were 12 people there. (laughs) So it was was certainly, it was cool to play there, but it was kind of funny. You know, you you just, you realize, you know, that your stage looks out of, you know, they have the the dirt floor and everything because they do the rodeo in there too when it's fair time. And they have the concerts. I think Gary Allen had played the night before. Uh, so, you know, you're just looking out and they have the, a catwalk on the stage and everything. So you're like, man, this is awesome. This is, I'm fine. You know, this is the big time. I'm, I'm on this stage in this big, beautiful stadium. But everybody who's watching the show is just in this one little corner right over by the by the entrance, <laughs> you know, all 12 of them, you know, you just look over and, hi, mom, can you hear it okay? And that's, you know, and now we're, we're still somewhat at that stage, you know, we, we can have up to 12 people, I guess, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that, that was really when I started singing full time with it, uh, but didn't really discover what my, the whole thing, you have to figure out what your strengths and your weaknesses are. You got to know your limitations. And I would try singing stuff that I had no business singing. And, you know, it was a lot of fun. And thankfully, I got past that stage early in life. And, you know, hopefully nobody's got any videos of me trying to, you know, do all these Ronnie James Dio songs when I had no voice to do them with. Uh, Or if they do, maybe it would make somebody laugh. Who knows? Just bring bring a smile to somebody's face, even if it's at my own expense. (laughs) But... uh, you know, I finally, it was around the same time when I figured out musically where I fit, you know, hearing people like Travis Tritt and Chris Stapleton and, you know, kind of feeling like not to compare myself to them because, you know, they're, they have gone to levels I haven't gone to. And, and they are, to me, they're, they're on a, another level. They're, they're top shelf as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, I hope to be as good as they are one of these days. And I certainly don't want to just copy what they do. Um, but starting off, when, when I heard those two, I thought, well, th- that makes me feel a little better to know that what I want to do isn't so weird. And, and to know that, because I've always had kind of a rougher sounding voice, you know, it's, it's not, and part of it is I probably didn't work on it as much as I should have when I started out singing. You know, I didn't, I never took any lessons, which I, 
it's not that I regret it. It's just there's a lot of things I had to learn myself the hard way, you know, breath control and all these things that I had to just work on without having any proper instruction on it. Um, not that I was ever going to be some, you know, uh, uh, um, operatic Pavarotti kind of singer, you know, that, that was never going to happen anyway. But for even what I was doing, I wanted it to be as good as possible. And so kind of emulating originally, everybody's got to start from somewhere. Everybody copies to begin with. So kind of copying people like Travis Tritt, Chris Stapleton, uh, Sturgill Simpson early on, because I had his metamodern sounds and country music record. And uh, <clears throat> that, that was another thing that kind of helped me to to figure out that I wasn't really alone with what I was wanting to do. There were a lot of people who did that same thing. And so it was probably later in high school to my early college years when I really got comfortable with my voice and, and kind of figured out what I sounded like. Uh, now, as, as far as the, uh, do, do we want to go ahead and get into the, uh, the acoustic part of things or, or is there uh, I just, I've just realized sure, I man. gave about a half hour answer there. <laughs> no, 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 you're, you're all good, Ryan. Um, well, man, yeah. I mean, honestly, uh, you know, you, you, you talking about how you, I like the research and development comments it, about this trial and error and, and kind of self being self-taught and, you know, learning what, what you can. And, and in many ways I, I've, I've done a lot of that myself along my pathways to success, but, uh, do you, you write all your own stuff and everything. I mean, is that, is that true? I do. Uh, now I still do covers when I play live, you know, that's, uh, yeah. that's just one of those things that, you know, everybody has to do and, and I enjoy it. You know, I, I kind of got to the point and this is where the Tommy Emanuel part really comes in big time. I think is the way that Tommy Emanuel will play it. It's not that he rearranges it out of boredom or rearranges it just to be different he rearranges a song to fit who he is as an artist and the way he does it, it's, it not only sounds great, but it's exciting. It goes somewhere. It moves along. It doesn't just sound like somebody covering a song, especially with him being strictly an instrumental uh, musician, aside from a few songs where he'll sing every now and then, but uh, that's, that's really difficult to do, but that kind of gave me a little bit of a, of something to look up to and, and kind of something to strive for. And so a lot of times when I'm doing covers, I'll try to, uh, it's not that I'm trying to be different. It's just, I'm trying to figure out, okay, how do I do this song? Because, you know, we've all played Tennessee whiskey a million times, but what can I do that's going to be any better or different than anybody else, you know? And, that, and there are some songs which that one is quickly becoming one of them where everybody's just got to kind of realize that at this point, people want to hear it the way Chris Stapleton does it. And none of us are that good. So we, we just, kind of have to have fun with it. And it's one of those where, you know, and I, I think Wagon Wheel is, is one of those two where people, they want to hear the old Crow Medicine Show version. And that's, you know, that's the one people are used to. And you can't really top that. You know, it, that's just kind of the way it is. But people still want to hear the song itself. So that's one of those where you don't really have to reinvent the wheel because people are just happy to hear it because they want to dance and they want to sing along. Uh, but as far as my own original stuff, yeah, I, I write all of that. Uh, when I was in first grade, I remember I had this spiral notebook that I would take on the playground with me and I'd write all these different lyrics in there and stuff that at the time it seemed silly, but I was kind of, I had the right idea looking back, even though the lyrics were just garbage. But 
the way that I was writing was, you know, I would write about, you know, just something simply, you know, I'd write about, you know, this desk or the rug or something like that. And I'd write about all these different things about it. So I was already sort of on the right track as far as you want to look deeper into something. You know, you don't want to just go with what's on the surface because everybody knows what's on the surface of something. That's, that's why there are a million love songs. Everybody knows what's on the surface when it comes to love. We're, we're just all trying to figure out how do we go deeper? How do we delve into that? What, what's below the surface? You know, what, what kind of feelings and emotions and memories go into something like that? And uh, I actually got in trouble one day on the playground because we weren't supposed to have, and I don't know why this was. I don't know if it's because they didn't want anybody to, you know, be sitting still or what, but on the playground, you weren't supposed to have any books or notebooks or pencils or pens or anything like that. You weren't supposed to be reading or writing on the playground. Never made a ton of sense to me, but that was just a, for whatever reason, that was the rule at the time. So I got in trouble for that. One of the teachers came over and said, I actually remember which one it was. I'm not going to say her name because I, I love her to death. And uh, she was, and I don't think she was getting on to me uh, because she was mad. I think she was just getting on to me because that was the rule. But uh, she, she came over and said, Ryan, what are you doing? And I said, oh, well, I'm looking at some of these songs that I wrote last night. You want to look at them? And, <laughs> and no, she didn't. That, that's what I got out of that conversation. Uh, oh, and, and thankfully she didn't because they were bad. But, uh, but yeah, probably the first song I ever wrote that I actually kept that kind of meant something to me and, and really gave me that feeling that maybe I'm onto something here was a song called I'm Coming Home, which is on uh, my, my first record. And that song, which that whole first record is really kind of, uh, it's almost like my, you know, the best of Slim Whitman volume one, <laughs> you know, for, to use a Johnny Carson uh, thing there. But uh, those were all songs that I had written in years prior to that when I was doing little demo CDs and things like that. Uh, and I'm Coming Home was the first one that I wrote that I actually kept and started playing for people. And before that, I had just written bad instrumentals. And that, that I had kind of gotten into a phase where I, I was listening to guys like Steve Vai and Joe Satriani and Ingvay Malmsteen, and I really loved what they were doing, but I wasn't that kind of player. You know, I, I, I was more on kind of the, uh, again, the, the Black Sabbath, Van Halen, Kiss kind of vibe when I was, this is still when I was an electric player, where the solo went after the second chorus of the song. That's what I knew. You know, now I'm listening to all these guys where they're playing the whole song as a lead player, you know, the, the melody and everything. And so I tried to emulate that and just did a terrible job. Uh, should we have a drinking game for how many times I say emulate? <laughs> sounds It sounds super intelligent. Uh, I got a laundry list of intelligent words, so. Yeah, well, and laundry list, that, that's a good one, too. Laundry list, that's a, that's a good 50-cent word. I like there that. There you go. <laughs> uh, laundry is a word that we're all needing to hear a little bit more probably during this quarantine. <laughs> I was doing my fair share today but, and uh, running a cleaning know, cycle on my washer, too, you know, just because I've been doing so much of yeah. it. Yeah, that's right. But, uh, yeah, with, with the instrumental thing, you know, I, I just really, what I was doing was writing songs in the traditional form where you would have a verse here and a chorus here, but I just didn't write any lyrics. That was the only difference. So, you know, I would have the, the intro to a song and then 
for the verse part, instead of playing a melody, I would just, you know, kind of mute the strings and just play the chords like a rhythm guitar part would be in a normal song. Well, that almost sounds like it should be like a music bed for a TV show, which I might dig some of those out and that might come in handy one of these days. But, uh, you know, at the time for, you know, uh, the focal point, you know, something that somebody's listening to for enjoyment, they're not going to get anything out of that. So I was really bad at writing instrumentals. I've written a few since then that were halfway decent, but uh, yeah, early on it was no lyrics, just chords and, you know, a solo here and there. And uh, finally got to the point where I was writing songs that kind of meant something to me. And uh, especially with I'm Coming Home, the, the inspiration from that came from a Neil Young documentary that I watched called uh, Deja Vu, which was about the Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young reunion tour back in, I think, 2004. And uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it was, it was either 2003 or 2004. It was right when the, uh, the uh, Iraq War had started. And they interviewed a lot of soldiers in that documentary. And one of them was telling his story about... Uh, a bomb that went off in his camp, you know, and, and killed almost everybody. He was one of the only survivors and he got out of there with, uh, you know, of course, everybody was banged up pretty good from that. And there's not any way that you could keep from being banged up when something like that happens. But he actually got out without losing any limbs or anything like that. But he was just traumatized by seeing what happened and, and seeing all of, you know, his fellow soldiers that were just laying there either dead or dying, you know, uh, and it was just too much for him to take. And, and so he ended up when he uh, went home for, I can't remember if he said it was around Christmas or what, but he got to go back home for a few days. Well, he ended up going to Canada instead of going back uh, to the base. And so that really just hearing his story kind of inspired me to write a song with kind of a similar storyline. It wasn't his exact story by any means, but it was kind of that similar thing of what would, you know, what would that phone call be like, basically? You know, the whole song revolves around a phone call pretty much. Um, and, and that was really kind of the, the inspiration for that. And when I finished it, the first thing I thought was, man, this, this would be something cool if Bob Seger recorded it. You know, so I was already thinking about, you know, who, who can I pitch these songs to? Of course, Bob Seger doesn't need anybody to write songs for him. He writes them just, just fine enough himself. Um, but uh, that, that was the first thing that ever really got me going, hey, I, you know, I've got something here. Let, let me try to do this a little more. Uh, I think the second song I wrote was a song called A Dozen Roses, which I was going to pitch to George Jones because I knew he was going into the studio to do his final album. It was right about the time he was going to go on his farewell tour. And so I wanted him to record this song because, again, Jones is the one who got me started in all of this. And unfortunately, that just that never happened. But yeah, from there, the, the songwriting thing really took off. And there have been a lot of them that weren't very good. And, you know, that's again, it's a trial and error thing. You figure out what what works and what doesn't. And at first, if you write 10 songs, you're going to play all 10 of them because that's all you got. You want people to hear what you got. But, you know, it, it reaches a point where you even if a song is not very good when it starts out, you know who you are as a writer and you can kind of steer the ship in the right direction eventually, even if you have to leave it alone for a few days and come back to it. But, uh, but yeah, the, the songwriting thing is a, a big deal for me. That's, that's something that I feel like even if, because just being honest, I'm not a great singer. You know, I do what I do and I'm fortunate that people like it, but 
I'm not on the level of, you know, people like Chris Stapleton, like, you know, one of my other favorite singers that, you know, people on the internet always like to make jokes, but Michael Bolton, an incredible singer, you know, people always like, you know, the, the office space jokes and everything. And, you know, there will be no Michael Bolton played in this office. You know, people always want to make those kind of jokes, but man, and not only was he great or not only is he a great singer, he's also a great songwriter. Uh, but I, I'm just not on, I know I'm not on that level as a singer. I would love to be, and, and who knows, maybe the more I work on it, you know, I might figure something out to where I can figure out how to make my style a, a little better like that. But I, I know that I'm not God's gift to singing or God's gift to guitar playing or anything like that, or even with songwriting. But songwriting, I feel like is one of those things where even if in a town like Nashville, where so many people just just about die trying to get that chance to be a recording artist. Even if you get that chance and it doesn't quite pan out, you know, if you record a few songs and then the label drops you, or if you have a development deal and it just kind of never goes anywhere, if you can write songs, you've always got a place there. And so that's something I've always focused on. And, you know, heroes of mine like Guy Clark and, and John Prine, and unfortunately both of them are no longer with us. And, that was kind of an interesting thing. The first time I was ever going to go that I had thought I was going to go to Nashville was when I graduated college. I was going to go the day after graduation and I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew I was going to go there and just see what happened and see what I could do. Thankfully, I only had I think $237 or something like that in my bank account. So, you know, I, I could have made the trip there and back. It's just, you know, even at a motel six, I ain't going to be there very long. Uh, but uh, it, it was one of those things where I, I really wanted to just go and, and be there and, and see what it was like. And I had been there before as a tourist, but it's a totally different thing to go there as, <clears throat> excuse me, as a musician. And I, I wanted to meet Guy Clark the first time I went to Nashville. That was, uh, that was my goal. Unfortunately, he passed away before that, so I was never able to fulfill that dream of meeting one of my heroes. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't know what. I've got a frog in my throat today. Man, that has happened to me. I'm not sick. Uh, I swear to you. Um, I had a, somebody on the podcast a while, right when all this stuff was happening, right here in my studio, and I started coughing, and I like kept reassuring them. I'm like, hey, hey, I don't have the COVID, okay? <laughs> That's right. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, that, that was kind of the, the strange thing about it. The first time I wanted to go to Nashville, I wanted to go track down Guy Clark and, and just meet him and even just to tell him how much his music meant to me and, and how big of an influence he has been on me as a songwriter. Unfortunately, that never happened. Uh, and then this time when I was planning to go to Nashville, because I, I kind of was back and forth on it after I filmed the American Idol stuff, because we filmed that back in – late September, early October is when we filmed all of that. Um, and I was kind of back and forth cause I, I had this, this might sound strange, but it's like, I knew what they said when I left the room. It just took me seeing it on TV, really soak it in because it, it for whatever reason, it didn't really hit me right away. You know, that they, they were really saying you need to, you need to pursue this. You need to pursue a career in country music, go to Nashville 
for whatever reason, that didn't register with me right away. And I, I don't know why it, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me as to why it didn't. But, uh, when, a- after the episode aired and I, I saw it again from a, from a different perspective, instead of being in that room with, you know, the, the light shining on you so bright that you can't really see those three too good until you get all the way up to the desk. Uh, once I actually saw it on TV and was able to really focus on what they were saying, I, I finally realized, you know, I, I do need to go to Nashville. You know, may, maybe there's a place for me, maybe there isn't, but I'll never know if I don't go. You know, I've got to at least give it a shot. This is something I've always wanted to do, and here I've got a perfect opportunity where people are kind of counting on me to go, and now I'm counting on myself to go too, and so I, I need to check this out. And my idea then was, well, I know John Prine lives in Nashville and I know that he is really approachable and he always is, seems to be out and about. And it seems like people have really good luck being able to run into him and talk to him for a little bit. And so like the guy Clark thing, I thought, well, man, I'll, I'll go meet John Prine and, and, you know, maybe just get the chance to talk to one of my heroes for a little bit, man, that, that ain't going to happen now either. And it's, uh, it's, it's, to to put it in you know the most uh, downplayed terms, it's a bummer. You know, it it really is. It just it sucks that, that that happens, especially with it being you know the same week that we lost Joe Diffie, we lost John Prime, and then Bill Withers like a day after that. Oh, it was man, just uh, it was awful. Uh, but you know, and now <clears throat> the position that I'm in with the with the Nashville thing is. I can pretty much go whenever it's safe to go. And, you know, as far as when it's safe, I know they're kind of starting to open up some stuff now, but I don't think, I I feel like I would kind of be in the way if I went right now, because I think that right now the, the locals need to have that opportunity to decide what they want to do. Cause that's, that's their city. I'm I'm not part of that community yet. I want to be, but I just don't feel like it's my place to kind of roll into roll into town and be like, okay, I, I'm here. <laughs> you know, but what, what you know, uh, y- y'all told me to come to Nashville. I, I'm here. What are we going to do first? I I just uh, I don't want to be in anybody's way, but uh, I feel like sometime this summer, as long as we don't have another outbreak of this stuff, which I'm really you know knock on wood, it, it looks like it's getting at least a little better day by day. You know, again, just going slowly down that track. Um, if if it seems like it's still kind of slowly getting better, then this summer I'll probably at least start going down there, maybe go there a week or two at a time and, and uh, get to the point where hopefully I can find a, find a place to live and uh, be able to be there on a more permanent basis. But right now, everything's just kind of up in the air. But it's given me a little bit of extra time. You know, I've been uh, doing those Facebook live shows, which have just absolutely exceeded any expectations I could have had. I've been blown away by how many people have appreciated that and and tuned in week after week because I didn't think it was going to go like this. I thought I was going to do one and then maybe do one a few weeks later. And I thought that maybe, you know, 10 or 20 people would be interested and want to watch because there's so much going on. You know, so many people are doing different Facebook live things, not only musicians, but all kinds of people doing Facebook live. And so uh, this past weekend, somebody informed me that uh, I was on at the same time that Garth Brooks and Trisha Yearwood and Trisha Yearwood were doing a stream on uh, the Grand Ole Opry and Jimmy Fortune from the Statler brothers was doing a live stream and Jeff Bates was doing a live stream. 
And she said, I just want you to know I chose to watch you instead of any of them. And I said, well, had I known Jeff Bates was on, then this would be a live stream of me watching his live stream. But uh, oh, man. It, it really has been a lot of fun to, to do these live streams. And, you know, the, the good thing that has come out of this whole thing is that it's given us the opportunity to connect with people that we wouldn't normally be able to connect with. You know, I, I have people who are putting comments in on the live stream saying, I'm watching you from Australia. I'm watching you from Canada. I had somebody this past weekend who said, I'm tuned in from India. It, it's, I, I'm fortunate that right now, especially after the American Idol thing, I'm, I'm in a position where I can maybe branch out and play some places I've never played before, but it's still pretty much going to be just the United States and, and maybe Canada. I, I hope I can do that here pretty soon uh, within the next couple of years or so or just whenever we're able to get back to performing again but you know the the likelihood of being able to have that same connection with somebody from Australia or or India or the United Kingdom or wherever it may be you know that they're, they're not going to hop on a plane and come to Little Rock to see me play at a club you know it, that just that's not going to happen and I'm not in a position now where I can go over there and play shows again maybe one of these days I'd love to but uh, being able to do these live streams has enabled everybody to have that connection and be able to play for people who want to hear you, you know, and, and they want to, they want to see you play and they want to talk with you and, and they don't have that chance. So thanks to the technology we're using now, we're getting to have that chance to kind of reach out and, and, and talk to people who have been watching us and listening to us this whole time. We just didn't know it, you know, and uh, it really has been cool to, to have that connection and, um, if there is a bright side to any of this, which of course there's, there are many more cons than there are pros, but I think the pros will make us better people overall. And I think one of the pros is it's kind of, it's, it's, it's taken away our perception of who we are and what our purpose is kind of. And it's, it's kind of made us realize that everybody's got a place and, and we've all got people who want to hear and see more of what we do and, uh, so it's just been really cool to to have that happen. And once again, I gave you a half hour answer to a simple question. No, man, and <laughs> you know I've thought of this several times since we've been chatting, but um, just kind of speculating about the future of events and and you know you're uniquely connected because you'll be the guy that's you know uh, performing to people. It's not just the uh, you know concert goers. We were kind of talking about from the perspective of the audience a minute ago, but uh, you know you uniquely you go to concerts and you also perform but uh man like all those streams you saw the other night like i've been watching some of my favorite bands there's uh, this service nugs net i don't know if you've heard of uh but they just basically it's a database of concerts and uh todd snyder man he's been doing some live shows and stuff uh, or streams and man i wonder if uh that isn't some sort of a mix like drive-in concerts and buy the stream and uh, like a pay-per-view type uh, live performance or something that we might not see some of that in the future. Well, I think we're going to have to do some of that. And the fact that we're already kind of getting the ball rolling on it, I, getting the book, uh, I haven't even had anything to drink today. And here, <laughs> here I am slurring my words. Uh, not that I was going to, but just pointing that out. <laughs> but uh, the fact that we're getting the ball rolling on that, I think is going to help a lot because people are talking about virtual reality concerts and drive-in concerts and, th and things like that. And, you know, th even three months ago, if you mentioned that to somebody, they would have said, ah, that'll never work. 
but now it kind of has to work and there are companies that are already had started developing you know, and I, i'm i'm a big believer in and a lot of people disagree with me on this but you know it's like dan Aykroyd said in the blues brothers the lord works in mysterious ways you know everything happens for a reason everything's going to happen the way it's supposed to happen we may not always understand it but you know that's the way the world works you know everything is going to happen for a reason and figure out the reason today it may be years from now but there were people already developed reality concert platforms and you started seeing ads on facebook for those in the last several months well now Thank goodness they did develop that because now we can actually use that to our benefit. We can see a lot of these uh, these things that had already been recorded. And, and I took a look. I don't have any virtual reality equipment, but I just took a look at it on my phone, the way that you can, you know, turn the camera around and look at everything. It looks really cool. They figured it out. It looks really cool. It will never replace being there in person. But since we have to have alternatives, man, that's a cool one. The drive-in concert, that's another thing. I had started thinking about that about a month or so ago because uh, we have a, a theater here in Clarksville that's been doing drive-in movies, uh, which that's that's really cool, man. It's like a blast from the past. You've been able to see those drive-in movies come back. And that's something, that's one of those things that I think we ought to continue doing even after we don't have to anymore. Little things like that, you know, or... Uh, you know, going to drive-in, you know, going like the Diamond Drive-In in Clarksville, which has been here my whole life and even longer, you know, just, just going there and pulling in and getting some ice cream and everything. It's like, oh, we can't go in right now. But even after we came, there's a beauty to some of this stuff right now. Some of these things that, you know, that our parents or our grandparents grew up enjoying, you know, going to the drive-in movie or, or going down to the diner and sitting in the car with the windows rolled down and just letting that breeze come through and, you know, having a chocolate malt or something like that. There's a beauty to some of this stuff that I think we really need to keep a hold of after this is all said and done. But uh, the drive-in concert thing, I started thinking about like I said, about a month ago when I was doing drive-in movies, and I thought, it'd be pretty cool. Jimmy Buffett played at a drive-in in Frisco, Texas a couple of years ago. Of course, there were a lot more people there <laughs> than there would be for a, a drive-in concert now. But uh, uh, and but I think it, when he played at the drive-in, I don't think that they actually had cars there. I think they just wears and stuff out for people to, you know, have standing room and stuff like that. But uh, you know, still that, that idea, and we've seen the articles come up on Facebook in the last couple of weeks, I think in Denmark or something like that, they've been doing drive-in concerts. That that field where you would normally see 100,000 people is now like, you know, 10,000 cars or something like that. But still, any way that we can have that connection, and, and the fact that we're still able to have that online now, because we're kind of forced to, but again, there's a beauty to it. And I think that if we can get something off the ground like that, like drive-in concerts, not only will that be a way to kind of stimulate the, the live music economy again, but I think it'll be something really cool that maybe could continue into the future at some point because you don't even have to, you, you, can, you can stay in your pajamas and go to a drive-in concert, but you can still be there and see it in person and you don't have to get out of your car or anything and, you know, you can go on your way there, you know, if they don't sell snacks at the drive-in place you're going, you can, on your way there, you can swing by McDonald's or something or go to the diner. And I mean, there's just 
so many cool things about it that, that we can do and ways that we could support local businesses throughout the whole process. You know, you swing by your local diner on the way and, and then you go to your local drive-in and you watch, a, you know, your favorite local performer on stage. There's just a lot of cool things with it. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm sad that it had to come about this way, but I think there are a lot of cool things that we've that we've learned from this and a lot of cool things that we can try going forward with this and and i've said this before to some friends of mine when we were talking about it i think we're going to be a lot better prepared the next time something like this comes around because uh, and, and it will happen again that's the way that life has been there are always tough times it takes from five years to talk with a buddy of mine and that uh, this kind of rivals like 9-11 as far as what I remember in my lifetime as being really impactful events on, on the world. And it takes a while for something else like that to come around. Our unity and our, our faith in humanity and everything will always be tested. And those tests give us the opportunity to kind of make up for the mistakes that we've made and, and to really just kind of, kind of be nicer to one another and really be more appreciative of everything that we have because we still haven't hit the bottom. Some people think that we have, but it could get a lot worse. It always could get worse. Even when you hit bottom, you can dig deeper. It can always get worse. So no matter how bad it gets, I was listening to a Trace Adkins song yesterday that just totally summed this up. Tough times don't last. Tough people do. And I believe that with all my heart. Yeah, man, we are going to, uh, I think this is going to push us forward as, uh, as a society and then as a community in a lot of ways, you know, and actually too, I, I don't know, uh, I, we had talked about this yet, but I'm actually from Johnson County also, grew up in Clarksville, know all the all places right. you're talking about. Do you remember that drive through movie theater out on 64 forever um, out there across from the Parker Animal Clinic? Do you remember that? And I remember when I, I was a kid. I vaguely remember that. Yeah, they tore it down a few years ago. But man, I, I, it's, I think the Paul Castleman lives over there. That's where his house is at. But I remember there being an old screen. And my dad told me that when he was a, in high school in the 70s, that that's where he saw the first Star Wars movie. And that blew my mind. Well, see, that, and that's exactly, we can have those moments right now if we just look at the silver lining, you know, because companies like, uh, you know, and, and I understand why they're doing it. Companies like Universal are choosing to go to streaming only right now for their movie releases. And it seems like they're going to have a bigger profit margin with it, which is good for the industry overall. But there's something cool about it. Could you imagine if the next Star Wars movie, if they let that release to select theaters and they had a drive-in thing for it, could you imagine being able to tell our kids and our grandkids one of these days that we did the same thing. How, you oh, know, yeah. how cool would that be to, to have that go in cycles like that to where we can have those same experiences? You know, I, I know that the technology has advanced to where a drive-in movie is not the most, uh, the, the most uh, perfect environment to see a movie now, but there's something cool about that whole experience. And there's just something to be said about having it's, Life is not always about the highest quality of, of the moment. It's about having that experience. You know, it's not always about, well, yeah, the, the quality of watching this movie on my phone, I can watch it in 4K, or I can watch it on this, you know, old dusty screen at this old drive-in movie. Well, that's an experience. 
there's something more to that than watching it on my phone, even though it's in 4K on my phone. I want that experience. There's more to it with that. I'm, sure. I'm just, I'm a believer in that. I'm, nah, I'm excited. I, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if you can tell. I'm, I'm excited about the good thing that can come out of something like that. Man, and that's, you have to look at things that way. And it's, uh, I've just, any, any students I interact with from the gyms, we have like 250 members from the gym. And then I have 150 college students and I'm just like, look, stay positive, develop a new routine, look at the positive side of everything. Like for me, I'm spending tons of time with my dogs and my wife and exercising even. And I mean, it's, it, things are way different uh and some days i complain about them but uh it's you know man there's been a lot of positivity for it out of uh, out of this for me too absolutely and don't get me wrong i do my fair share of complaining too and then some you know and i it doesn't do me any good to lie about it and act like i'm just positive about it all the time because this is a situation where i feel like we have the right to get pissed off every now and then because you know even though we've always grown up here in well, life ain't fair. No, it's not. But sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it kicks you when you're down. And so I'm not saying you don't have the right to get mad about it because we all do. But at some point, and, and this is exactly what we've been talking about this whole time. It's not about, and when I interviewed Bobby Bones, uh, by the way, when I keep interrupting myself, I will eventually get to the end of the story. I can tell it may take 20 or 30 minutes, but I'll get to the end of it eventually. <laughs> But uh, when I was doing the American Idol thing and I interviewed Bobby Bones, the one thing that he told me that has really stuck in my mind that I could relate to, because it's, it's not anything that I was consciously doing. It's just something that I kind of did because I had to. He was talking about, you know, I'm not saying that I'm the best. I'm not saying I'm the most talented, but I can get told no back up and keep going. And that's what we're going through now. There's all of these things that we want to do and life is telling us no. So we have to get up, dust ourselves off and move forward. You know, it's just like, are, are we going to sit home and, and watch Netflix all day? No, you know, we can, but we can accomplish something. You know, there, there are things we can do that, that can, do, do, you know, it's like the, the Facebook live shows. I wasn't planning on that being a long-term replacement for my normal gigs. I thought within a couple of months, we'd be able to do a little something. I knew it wasn't going to be totally back to normal, but you know, it's, it's still not there yet. And I could have just done one or two Facebook shows and then said, ah, you know, this ain't the same, but it's the, the people who are watching give you that same feeling. And that's, that's why you're doing it in the first place. It doesn't have anything to do with the location, even though I've played some really cool places that I miss and I want to get back to, but it's not about the location. It's not about being on a stage. You know, sometimes you just got to let your ego get out of the way and say, okay, I don't have to be under those, you know, those bright lights and act like I'm somebody, you know, we, we all want to do that, but it's not about that. And it, it's not about how the A is, not about you know how rowdy the audience is right in front of you. It's not about that right now. It's about making that connection. And as a songwriter, you're getting that right now. You know, you're finding out exactly how well your song connects to people. 
instead of being applause, you're getting comments from people saying, man, that song reminds me of, you know, this moment in my life. It reminds me of what I'm going through right now. I've been getting letters from people who, well, I say letters. I, I use, I'm somewhat old school. I use the term letters, but they're, you know, Facebook and Instagram messages, but I call them letters. Anything longer than a paragraph, I consider a letter. But I've been getting these messages from people in the military and, and even I've had several nurses and doctors from New York City reach out to me and wow. tell me they've been listening to my music and that they saw my audition on American Idol. And I've got to tell you, those mean more to me right now than anything else to have those kind of messages, knowing that you're talking to somebody who's a true hero somebody who is totally selfless and is putting their wants and needs out of the way for somebody else. These doctors, these nurses, military personnel, all of them. And the fact that they're taking time out of their busy schedules, when any free time they get, they should take for themselves and just try to get a wink of sleep if they can. But instead of that, they're taking their free time to write you a note and let you know that something you did made them feel good or just brought a smile to their face. I wasn't getting that before this, like this, you know, and, and maybe it's because I wasn't paying attention and that they may be part of this whole thing is maybe we'll pay a little more attention now to these little moments and, and we won't, we won't just think about, you know, the, the, the cold interaction of, you know, well, did they applaud at the end of the song or not? Well, that doesn't mean they didn't like it. You know, maybe they're just kind of thinking for a minute, you know, and it's, it's just a different thing to, to get that kind of a response. And I just, I'm just grateful for it. You know, it's, it's, uh, we always wish that we could go back to doing what we were used to doing, but sometimes when we get out of our comfort zone is when we figure out the things that really matter. And that's, that's been happening a lot lately. Yeah, man, man, you have, you have such a, a humble and, noble approach to everything you're doing man it's it's been uh it's been awesome talking to you it's it, it, the times like these it's kind of awesome talking to anybody like i've been doing these podcasts with people from all over and um it's it, just seeing people man when i see it like when somebody comes up on the screen it's like uh, a new person <laughs> like, hey an interaction yeah, there's, a, there's somebody to talk to <laughs> oh man well, hey, Ryan, uh, tell us, um, let's go ahead and kind of wrap it up, man. I, but tell us, how can we support you? Where can people find your music or your pages, social media, stuff like that? Well, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. And, you know, I'm kind of experimenting a little with, uh, with different ways to do things. Um, I announced a couple of things this week. There are uh, a couple of projects we've got going on. There's a company in Little Rock called Silver Eagle GPX. They're a screen printing company, locally owned and operated, a great business, great people making great products. And Travis from Silver Eagle reached out to me and he came up with this great idea because he's also a local musician. He came up with this great idea to do t-shirts for local bands and local solo artists and have those t-shirts available online. And when people buy one, the t-shirts are $20 a piece. Doesn't matter what band or artist you buy. They're $20 a piece. $10 goes to the screen printing company. $10 goes to the artist. So you're not only helping to support your favorite local artist, you're helping to support a great locally owned and operated business. You know, And, and we're all in the same boat right now in, in that sense. So 
that was a great idea that they came up with and I'm really excited about it. And we launched that t-shirt uh, this past week. And so you can, uh, the easiest way is to go to my website, ryanharmanmusic.com, uh, click on the merchandise tab and that'll uh, take you there. It's uh, about halfway down on the page. I have a section that's just for that shirt. And you can't buy it through me. You can only buy it through the link that Silver Eagle has set up. Um, so that that's, uh, and it's kind of a limited edition thing. I'm not trying to sound like a car salesman, but uh, it, it really is a, a limited run that, that we're doing with this. We don't know exactly how many it'll end up in because they're made uh, made to order. But, uh, oh, thanks, man. That's awesome. I didn't know hey, you could yes. do that. Man, I'm going to have to start using this Zoom thing more often. <laughs> I, I got, yeah, I was joking earlier. It's a, it's a cool little platform. Um, well, yeah, man, I will, um, I'm going to go ahead and get one for the, for myself right now. Oh, thanks, man. Well, hey, it's, uh, it's really cool. And the, the, the design of it, uh, it's, and it, it'll probably end up having, uh, the way that they do it, they put a little section at the bottom of it that says, uh, hashtag supporter against COVID-19. And, and that's the, really the, theme for the whole thing is uh, supporting local artists and local businesses through this uh, through this time so that that's a really great way to do it and i highly encourage everybody even if you don't want one of my t-shirts go look at the ones for the other bands and the other artists because i've got a lot of friends who are doing that right now so that's a really great way to do it man i appreciate that that's awesome man hey man uh, another well, thanks thing for coming on the right podcast is uh, i've just joined up Anytime, man. I do want to also mention just real quick, uh, I've uh, also joined up with a platform called Cameo. So if you go to cameo.com slash Ryan Harmon Music, uh, I can do uh, personalized video messages and greetings for people in your life. And of course, Mother's Day is coming up at the time we're filming this. So uh, uh, so that's that's something to check out. And everything else, you can just go to RyanHarmonMusic.com and you can, can find me on there eventually, whatever you're looking for, hopefully. All right, man. Well, I will share these links to Ryan in the uh, description of uh, of the podcast video when get up uh, when I get it uploaded. I'll tag you over. And man, I've got an all new studio I've been working on. It's way bigger, and I'm gonna have a nicer board. And one of the goals is to do tiny desk concerts in this That'd new be studio. Awesome. Yeah, so maybe we can have you out uh, one of these days uh and do something like that but man i really appreciate you uh coming on today it's been awesome talking to you hey thanks for bringing me on man i appreciate it and uh you know i, I tend to get a little long-winded but uh man it's it's always great to talk about music and and just talk about the the good things in life so i appreciate you having me on and this is a great show you've got going on man likewise thank you so much ryan and uh it's been a pleasure man we'll talk to you soon Sounds good. Thanks a lot. All right, man. Take it easy. You too.